All right. Well, um, I want to again welcome you to Grace and really glad that you're here. And I especially want to ask those of you who are guests or visitors to sign, uh, to take the card in front of you. Let us know that you've been here. Let us know how we can pray for you. We genuinely want to be able to, to, to serve you. We're in a series now called Poured Out, Learning to Serve Like Jesus. And this morning we're going to talk about becoming great means serving kids. So, you know, when you think about serving in a church, one of the things that comes up is how do you serve kids in such a way that kids encounter the transformative impact of Jesus Christ? And when I was thinking about this message, I thought, you know, I could give a five reasons why we should be serving kids message. I didn't want to do that. What I wanted to do is I wanted to give you the really in-depth vision that Jesus has for you and for children, and for his kingdom. And to do that, what I want to do is to tell you a story about Matthew 16 through 18, because Matthew 16 through 18 is a story about Jesus' value of kids. Before I do that, I want to tell you a story about what happened with me. I was flying over the Atlantic Ocean from Paris, France, to DFW Airport, and I was desperate to stay awake. I did not want to fall asleep because I wanted to beat jet lag. I had heard that the Mr. Rogers uh, movie was really good, so I decided I would watch it. And indeed, it was really good. It's called Will You Be My Neighbor? And it is a, it is a documentary. And this was really surprising. Did you know that Fred Rogers earned over 40 honorary degrees, including many doctorates? Did you know that he is ranked number 35 in TV Guide's list of most influential people on TV? The statistics for Mr. Rogers go on and on and on. Think about this. He started in 1967, and he covered baby boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials. Pretty amazing. Uh, when he did his defense of public television in front of the U.S. Senate, arguing in front of angry senators during the Nixon administration, arguing as to why public television should be a thing, he argued with the same kindness and grace that he showed on TV. Pretty amazing. So influential is this guy's life that he was asked to do a lot of different graduation ceremonies. And in one of the most amazing scenes in, in this documentary, he's, he's speaking, I think it was at Dartmouth. And after the speech is over, a, a graduate comes up to Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, and with tears in her eyes, she says, I saw you all the time when I was a little girl. And you changed my life. Here she has tears in her, in her eyes, and here's Fred Rogers acting toward her in real life the same way that he would have acted on TV. He was the, he was the real deal. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, he is actually going to be played in an upcoming movie by, guess who? Tom Hanks. Huh? Like, what a perfect Fred Rogers would Tom Hanks be? Now, when I think about, I think about Fred Rogers... I think about a man who achieved greatness by touching the heart of children so that children realize that they mattered. 
And it was a combination of kindness with honor. And because of that kindness with honor, kids realized that they mattered to God. Look, this is essentially what Jesus says in the story in Matthew 16 through 18. If you want to be great, and I mean truly great, I mean great in God's kingdom great, you become the kind of person who is willing to serve kids. Look, you can become a great inventor like Steve Jobs. You can become a great investor like Warren Buffett. You can become a great politician, and I won't name any names because everybody's controversial these days. And we need investors, inventors, and leaders. We need them. But what Jesus is saying, if you want to be really great, and I mean great in God's kingdom, great, you become the kind of person who invests in people who can't pay you back, and that is children. So here's how Jesus put it in the core passage we'll look at. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child. He put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives, receives such a child in my name receives me. All right, now that's the, that's the crux of the teaching. Let's look at the background. And this is a story in three acts. Act one is on the mountain, act two is by the sea, and act three is in the house. We start with, with the mountain. We start with a mountain, and this is such a cool story. As the story opens, Jesus and his disciples on a road trip. I want you to imagine 13 men hiking from their hometown of Capernaum to the city of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was an incredibly, incredibly dark place. And Caesarea Philippi was a Greek city that was devoted to the worship of the false god named Pan. And there was tension in the ranks as the disciples are headed up to this place. It was a dark place and there was tension. Why is he taking us to this place, Caesarea Philippi? Well, what Jesus wants to do is he wants them to boldly confess Jesus as the living God in a place where Pan is worshiped as a dead God. And so they get to what I would imagine is the square in front of the two temples before the caves that were thought to lead to the underworld. He gets in front of those two temples and, uh, and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? The disciples give various opinions. Jesus ups the ante. Who do you say that I am? And Peter just nails it. He says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Now at Caesarea Philippi, there were, uh, there were cliffs and there were alcoves cut into those cliffs and there were statues of Pan inside those cliffs, the dead God Pan. And Peter, I envision, looks at those cliffs and he looks at Jesus and he says, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, not like that dead God Pan who can do nothing. You can imagine that people were just like, what? What did he say? The Christ, the living God? It was a very controversial statement that he makes. Now, it's one thing uh, to declare that Christ is God in a dark place. 
It's another thing to actually encounter him as God and king. And so what Jesus does is he takes them up to a mountain. Over the next six days, they hike up to this mountain called Mount Hermon. That that is a big mountain. It's 9,000 feet above sea level. I'm not saying they went actually up to the top and summited the mountain, but they went up that mountain. And somewhere up on that mountain, Jesus was transfigured. Now, now why, why a mountain and why that mountain? Well, you remember that God, God delivered truth about his identity on mountains. Moses met with God on a mountain, Mount Sinai. Elijah met with God on a mountain, Mount Horeb, which is another word for Mount Sinai. And Jesus is going to take three of the 12 disciples to the highest mountain, and he is going to reveal his kingdom power as God and king of the universe. They ascend the mountain. They ascend into that that thin air, and Jesus is transfigured. It is as if the sense of physical reality fades and the disciples are able to peer into spiritual reality and they're able to see the kingdom presence and power of Jesus and they see it in such a way that they're blown away by his transcendent, transformative power. And who's talking to Jesus? The same people who met God on mountains, Moses and Elijah. What's what's Jesus doing? He is unveiling and revealing his kingdom. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now Jesus is manifesting his kingship and his deity in front of those disciples. Now let's push the pause button now for a moment. What again is God's kingdom? What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is his his manifest presence. God's kingdom is the manifestation of his ruling presence. Don't get me wrong. God's kingdom in its full expression is going to come. But right now, God's kingdom presence and power is breaking into this present world as you are a believer and follower of Jesus. God's kingdom is breaking through and it broke through for the disciples on Mount Hermon. Kingdom living is living the future life of heaven right now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, did Peter, James, and John totally get this? No, they did not. And therefore, we need to have a second lesson. And the second lesson is a lesson by the sea. They're going to go from 9,000 feet above sea level to 700 feet below sea level because that's That's the elevation of the Sea of Galilee. As they begin their multi-day trek um, back home, a sad thing takes place. Imagine 13 people hiking mile after mile, hiking hard mile after mile, and they get spread out in a long line. And while they're spread out, the disciples hanging back begin to argue and bicker among themselves. They're whispering bickering, fighting, quarreling among themselves. Jesus is up ahead, they're back in the back. What are they talking about? They're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Now here they just had a vision of God's kingdom greatness, and three of the 12 are feeling pretty awesome because they got to see a picture of God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom greatness, and they're bickering and arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They didn't get the picture. 
about what the kingdom is, is really about. As the grumbling escalates, Jesus turns back and says, what are you guys talking about? He knows what they're talking about. He knows, but they go silent because they don't want to admit what's, what's going on. So they get back down to um, Capernaum, and just as they roll in, tax collectors come. And the tax collectors come, hands outstretched, wanting the temple tax, and they don't have it. So here comes lesson number two. Jesus says, um, Peter, I want you to go down to the Sea of Galilee, which is like yards away. I want you to put a hook on a line. I want you to cast the line into the sea. And a fish is going to come out. And well, there's going to be a coin in the fish. And he, he names the coin. The coin is called the stator worth about $170 in today's money. That's not a bad thing for like one cast. One cast, $720. Another cast. So, yeah, so Peter goes down and he throws the line in and he reels it back in and there in the tender pink tissues of that fish's mouth is the very coin Jesus predicted would be there. It's the stator. He plucks the coin from his mouth. He goes and he pays Tax collectors, his money and Jesus' money. He's teaching a point about the kingdom. And we know that because that's exactly what he says. Um, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? It's a kingdom lesson. And the, the kingdom lesson is a kingdom lesson that Jesus Power is a power that is over and above the power structures of this earth. So lesson number one on the mountain is a lesson about presence. Jesus' kingdom presence is everywhere at once. Lesson number two by the sea is a lesson about power. Jesus' power is above and beyond all of the kingdoms of this earth. Okay, so did they, did they catch it? Did they catch it? No. No, because back to 18 verse 1, at that time, about what time? The time where he's teaching the lesson about the coin, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And if I'm Jesus, I'm going, what? (laughs) I've taught two amazing lessons, one on the mountain, one by the sea, and you're not picking it up. All you're concerned about is your own personal greatness. Now, this is a problem for disciples back then. It's a problem for disciples right now. All of us in this room encounter the same thing. We know we should live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We know that. We know we should receive the unconditional love of the Father. We know that. We know that we need to live in an abiding relationship with Jesus. We know we need to live in a powerful relationship with the triune God. But sometimes because of our insecurities and fears, all we can think about is ourselves. And we become a big black hole of needs. Black holes in the universe draw all sorts of stuff into their vortex. Who knows what happens when it gets in there? And we become, we become black holes of needs. And when we're around people, we, I need your affirmation. 
I need you to give something to me. I need to be the center of my world. I need for you to be important for me. And that's how we end up becoming very self-oriented, very self-centered people. So now we come to Act 3 of the story, which is, which is the solution. And Act 3 takes place in a house. Now I want you to envision, this is an artist's rendition of, this, of the, the village of Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. Do you see a lot of space between those houses? No. <laughs> those houses are really, really close together. And Peter's house was pretty close to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, archaeologists are pretty certain they know where that house is. I've been to that house. Um, and it's, it's really kind of a, kind of a cool place. Uh, it's obviously in ruins. All you see is the, is the foundation. But um, there's not, not a lot of room there. But there's a great crowd in front of Peter's house. And <clears throat> um, the disciples... At sunset, the disciples are, are there in front of the house with all the crowds, and I'm sure people are thinking, how can, how, can I become, how can I become great in God's kingdom? They're asking that question, and so, so Jesus asks a child to come forward. The child, I, I would envision, is probably around six or seven years old, not a toddler and not a teenager. And the child comes forward. And people are thinking, what? what's going on? I mean, kids are big stuff in our culture, right? We market to kids. The, the industry, uh, marketing industry in America, it's a multi-billion dollar industry to market to tweens, which are people in between childhood and teenagerhood. It's a huge industry. Back then, no, no, it wasn't. Back then, kids needed to be seen and not heard. They needed to obey and do what they're told. You would never use a child as an example of anything, anything really, really significant. So people are amazed when the child becomes, comes walking up to, to, to Jesus. According to Mark, uh, Jesus uh, puts the child in his lap and begins to talk to him. And, and that was even amazing because, because great leaders sat as they taught and the child sitting in Jesus' lap. Now, this is going to become an authoritative teaching about the value of children. And Jesus begins to speak. Now, I just, I think, again, I want, I want you to pause the story for a second because think about how Jesus would have talked to this child. Did he go, Bless you, my son. Bless you, my daughter. May it go well with you. No, he didn't do that. Um, my family tells me that when I'm around my grandkids, my voice changes. I have my grandfather voice. And my grandfather voice is a voice of safety. It's a voice of endearment. It's a voice of kindness. It's a voice of fun. It's a voice of playfulness, but it's a different voice. And when Jesus is talking to this child, he's not using the, bless you, my son. Bless you, my daughter. He's using a kind voice appropriate the kids. And he says to the people around, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember, they're talking about greatness. I want greatness. Where do I get greatness? Here's how. Unless you turn and become like children. Doesn't say you become children. You can't do that. Unless you become like children. 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. Wait, wait, wait a second. He's talking about receiving my spiritual presence, receiving my, my kingdom spiritual presence and my kingdom spiritual power. He's not just talking about receiving a child. He's talking about receiving a child as an example of living in the kingdom presence of God. And he makes two very astonishing points. One is a point about entering the kingdom. This is not John chapter three. This is not Nicodemus. Nicodemus entering the kingdom is about salvation. This is about discipleship. John three is about coming to Christ for the first time. This is about growing in Christ on a repeated basis. If I don't become like a child, I am not going to enter into an experience with the kingdom where Jesus is reigning in my life. And he makes a second point about experiencing greatness. Um, I'm not going to even experience the kingdom if I don't become like a child. And I'm not going to become great unless I live repeatedly in the kingdom presence of God. And here's what I find about a lot of believers. They know God. They don't experience him. I talked to somebody a couple of years ago who, who, just, who said to me, Rod, I just, I just have to tell you I want to experience God. I can tell you, I don't think I ever experience him. I, I, just, I don't know why. I never experience that spirituality that you talk about. I know people who know God's word, they don't experience God's wisdom. They can, they can repeat Bible verses, but they don't have the wisdom from the word. They know how to do the Christian life. They don't enjoy victory in the Christian life. They go to church. They don't encounter the body of Christ. And it all comes down to this. I need to be the kind of person who humbles myself like a child. And that raises a question. How, how do we do this? Well, Jesus now tells us, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, just a second. Um, he's talking about children, yes, but he's also talking about people who are like children in the context. So he's talking about children and all like them. Well, who would be somebody who's not a child, but like a child? Somebody who has a need. Somebody maybe who is in a bad place in their life. Maybe they've gone from a place where they were doing okay and now they're in poverty. Maybe they've been, where they, they've been doing pretty well, but they had a tragic accident that took place, and now they're struggling with some sort of a, of a, of a disability. He's talking about children and those like children. And that's going to become very important in just a second. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Again, very important to understand that word heaven is plural. He's talking about the heavens, which is the invisible spiritual presence of God that's all around us, the kingdom. And what he's, what he's saying is that the angels who guard children, yes, children have guardian angels. You have a guardian angel. The angels who guard children, they see in that space by the child the presence of the Father in heaven. That's the kingdom realm that I keep talking about. And what Jesus is, is saying, I think, is this. If 
angels have a significant ministry of guarding children. Is it too much to ask you to humble yourself and to minister to kids? You think I'm, I'm kind of important, actually. And ministering to kids is maybe a little bit beneath me. I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. You know how much money I make? You, 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 know, you know what my... What my position is in my company? You know what my curriculum vitae is with my university? I'm a big deal. Do you know how big I am? You're not living in the kingdom. Because people living in the kingdom recognize if the angels are guarding kids and they're living in the kingdom presence of the Father, and I say, I'm not going to minister to kids. I'm, going to, I'm not going to encounter something of the Father's presence and, and his power. He says, don't despise the little ones. How, how do we despise little ones? By, by just discounting them. They can't give us a raise. They can't give us a promotion. They can't buy our products. They can't raise our social status. So we sort of dis- despise them. And Jesus says, don't do that. Now Jesus ups the ante even, even more in Matthew 19, 13 to 15, the children were brought to him. Now, this would be again that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people that like they didn't get the previous lesson. He, they rebuked the people and Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for of such belongs the kingdom of heaven. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about entering into a kingdom experience where you're experiencing the presence and power of God. It's all about entering the kingdom and becoming great in that place, and it all comes down to one thing. It all comes down to, I begin to humble myself. Look, if Mr. Rogers can do this in his quirky way and become great, you can do this in your way, and you can become great. So that leads us then to the main idea of the story. This three-act story is a story about releasing God's kingdom in our lives, by weaving in certain disciplines. Again, let me define kingdom. Kingdom is future, but the future kingdom is breaking into the present in your life, and it's showing up as the presence and power of God. Colossians 1.13, he delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's where we were, in that place of darkness, Caesarea Philippi-type darkness, and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I said last week that kingdom of his beloved son is a kingdom where the culture is love. We're in that kingdom place right now. That's where you are right now. Delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred into his kingdom. So if I'm living in the kingdom, I'm sensing his presence. I get glimmers of his power. I'm living in his supernatural culture of love. I'm manifesting godly culture around me. I'm living on a higher plane. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm doing. So to get there, we've got to start with humility. And so the big idea of this passage is this. If you want kingdom greatness, you've got to immerse yourself in humble cultures. Now just think about that for a second. Immersion in humble cultures is something that is counterintuitive to most of us. I like being in awesome cultures. I like being in cultures that are with it and sharp and cool and because I like that. You like that too, I'm sure. 
But to encounter kingdom greatness, I've got to be willing to immerse myself in humble cultures and then serve in the context of those cultures. Humble cultures take you way out of your comfort zone. But in those cultures, you start to learn. So back to my grandchildren. Whenever we go to Seattle, uh, we all go to the beach. And uh, we have nine grandchildren living in Seattle. So one day, last August, we went, uh, August or maybe it was October, we we went down to the beach. And we went to a part of the place in Edmonds called Brackett's Landing, where there's a seawall. And my younger daughter's youngest son was standing on the seawall. And a little dicey place to stand there. So I went up to him like this and said, okay, jump, jump to Papa. And he jumped. Pretty soon, another grandchild had lined up to jump. (laughs) And then another, and then another. And now we had a steady stream of nine grandchildren jumping into my arms like this. I got an amazing workout, got my quads here, you know, and I got my arm, my arms, my arms here. And pretty soon my grandchildren are running like crazy down the seawall and throwing themselves with abandon into my arms. And some of them are pretty old. (laughs) Finally, I said to Judah, I said, you jump on your own, buddy. I can't catch you. And I said to Sam, you're jumping on your own. I can't catch you. I was tired. Okay. I had immersed myself in a humble culture in that moment. And I will tell you, it was fun. And then it became a thing. It became a thing. What do we do when we go to Brackett's Landing? We line up in the seawall and we jump into Papa's arms. Okay. I immersed myself in a humble culture, and that humble culture did something for me, for me. It brought me life, and it brought me joy. And willingness to immerse yourself in humble cultures that value kids does something. Now, I realize it's my grandkids, okay, so I'm enjoying my time with them. But what I'm saying is immersing yourself in humble cultures does something to you. It is transformative to your soul. It releases kingdom, and it releases kingdom greatness. So let me close with three takeaways, applying this at GCC. Takeaway number one is this. Start with repentance. Start with repentance. Uh, Jesus said, unless you turn, that's a repentance term. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, my, and my, my contention is, he's not talking about salvation here. The context is about discipleship, not salvation. John chapter three, the context is salvation. It's not salvation here, it's discipleship. So the idea is that I need to become the kind of person who recognizes where pride has gripped my soul. Now you you might be hearing you say, "Uh, I'm not dealing with pride right now. Pride's not a big deal in my life right now. And I just urge you to push back on that in the strongest possible way. Because I will tell you that these little tendrils of pride can easily wind and snake their way into the organs of our brain in such a way that they're like a cancer. And pretty soon what's a small little tendril of pride grabs at us and now whole portions of our life are dominated by pride. It's really important if you wanna live in the kingdom presence and the kingdom power of, of Christ that you turn 
away from that pride. And in context, the implication is I turn away from that pride by immersing myself in a humble culture and serving. That's how I do it. Here's a, here's a second, second application. Second application is please understand our heart for reaching children at grace. Our ministry mission, as I've said repeatedly, is wrapped up in one word, transformation. It's about transformation. What we want to see is transformation happening in all of the, all of the ministries around our church. And that means my transformation. That means the transformation of our groups. That means the transformation of our church. That's what we want. And that extends to our, to our kids' ministry. Our core desire is that the Kids of Grace Community Church would encounter transformation. So by the time they get into junior high school and high school and college, they know what it means to follow Jesus. Um, my desire is that it's not just that they, they know the word that's really, really important, but my desire is that they would experience God. Because you can know the word go to your freshman English class and the professor can say, that's ridiculous, it's absurd. And you go, oh, okay, I guess what I learned was wrong. Scrap. But if you go to your freshman English class and the person says that and you have encountered God, you don't go, okay, scrap. Because you know the reality of who, of who God is. And so it's our desire that not only would people at Grace, kids at Grace know the word, but that they would also encounter, encounter God. And so we are hoping and praying that God would raise up a new army of people at Grace who would immerse themselves in humble cultures back in that part of our building. And they would encounter kingdom greatness back there because they are, they are working with kids. I don't have to remind you that that's a humble culture. Because you, you work with a child and the child is not gonna come to you after the meeting and go, wow, your lesson was amazing. It transformed my life. I'm going to go to my fourth grade class next, next month, this Monday, and I'm going, to, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be different. Thank you so much. Do you have a podcast that you do? Do you have books that you've written? Because I would buy those books and listen to that podcast all the time. They're not going to do that. They will do that. They're not going to remember when they get into college. Your name or what you taught on a Sunday it is a humble culture. But Jesus says, kingdom greatness is wrapped up in immersion in humble cultures. That's how, that's how you, become, you become great. My third takeaway is this. My third takeaway is actively pray about volunteering with kids and teens. And here's why I say prayer is so important. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, if you, if you just stop there, you could say the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And I'm kind of mad at that. Just frustrated at that. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus could have said, why is it we don't have people, more disciples around? I'm, I'm just, ugh, so frustrating. And he didn't do that. What he said is, therefore, therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest field. And what we, we at Grace realize, realize is that we have this desire to see kids transformed, but it's not up to us ultimately because there is a Lord of the harvest in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. There's a Lord of the harvest at Grace Community Church. There's a Lord of the harvest back there in our kids area. And we're asking, dear Lord of the harvest, you care about the harvest a lot more than we do. 
Will you please send forth laborers into your harvest field? Because we want to see kids transformed. And we want to see your kingdom released in this place. Will you please do that? Will you please do that? And I'm asking you to pray that prayer. Pray that prayer for our church. And then, and then I'm asking you to be open to God saying, what about you? What about you? That's my prayer. Here's, here's the bottom line. Bottom line is, to become great, you've got to immerse yourself in humble cultures. So there I'm on the plane. I'm flying over the Atlantic Ocean, roughly over Newfoundland. And I'm seeing this millennial-aged woman go to Fred Rogers. She's 22. He's 69. I see her with tears in her eyes saying to Fred Rogers, you changed my life. I think that's what, he, what she said. If you've watched it and you think, I didn't, she didn't say exactly that. I think that's what she said. Um, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And you have, the, you have the potential to become transformed by immersing yourself in humble cultures and serving. Let's stand for our closing prayer. And David is going to pray for us.